0: Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly, appreciation. The program is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia and streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are available from both the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites. All podcasts are available via iTunes. Welcome to Freedom Species, I'm Kate Gracie, and today I'm going to be talking about the ibis. The ibis that you might have seen rummaging around in city rubbish bins is the Australian white ibis. But today we'll be talking about the giant ibis of Cambodia. There it's a national icon, it's also critically endangered. For a while there it was even thought to be extinct. So anyway, I was backpacking around Cambodia recently and wow, I had no idea that the country is an incredible biodiversity hotspot and bird watcher's paradise. And there's an impressive little not-for-profit enterprise in Phnom Penh, that's the capital of Cambodia, called Ibis Rice, that was established by the Wildlife Conservation Society, or WCS. WCS is a big international conservation organisation. So this Ibis Rice initiative has made agreements with hundreds and hundreds of Cambodian rice farmers, which basically says that if the farmers protect the giant ibis and its habitat, ibis rice will pay them well for their rice. Ibis rice then markets and sells the rice in Cambodia and internationally. And you know what? The whole gig is working. Farmers are winning and the giant ibis is winning. So while I was in Phnom Penh, I caught up with the ibis rice CEO, Nick Spencer, and the marketing officer, Palken Chun. Tell me about the Wildlife Conservation Society.
2: So the Wildlife Conservation Society um, was originally the uh, Zoological Society of New York, or no, actually the New York Zoological Society, founded in 1895. Um, And they have projects in over 65 countries um, and and work very intimately in that country, working with government, with communities for long-term conservation outcomes.
0: But how do you focus your attention on the ibis? There must be a lot of other species here in Cambodia in need of conservation projects like this.
2: Uh, So the giant ibis in some ways is a champion for other species that share the habitat of the giant ibis. Um, However, the giant ibis itself is steeped in sort of reverence in Cambodia. It's the national bird of Cambodia. Um, And it was actually considered to be either extinct or very close to extinction at the end of, uh, the, end of the 90s uh, and it was camera traps um, just, just alongside one of the communities that we worked work in in 2001. So this was really a, a, a bird people expected not to survive and uh, was, a, was a champion for Cambodian culture uh, and certainly represents a, a, uh, a healthy forest. There's a patriotism around the giant ibis um, I think in some ways our products is helping reinvigorate that pa- patriotism. Uh, Pau Kun, as our marketing manager, how, how do you feel that giant ibis is uh, helping our, our, our project? So
1: the giant ibis is, is our main species in Cambodia. One is a symbolic of Cambodian bird, and the other thing is a symbolic of ibis rice. So by having ibis as our symbolic symbol, we have increased the sale, and then we um, take that profit and the income to support the conservation and uh, to improve the livelihood, especially the community that are working closely with us.
2: It's, it's also um, as a as a symbol. It's very useful from a uh, a direct conservation point of view. They rely on the taller trees in the forest to roost, so therefore their survival is dependent on having tall and, and, and old trees in, the, in a forest system. Those trees are often the most valuable. So uh, the giant ibis, if you're saving the giant ibis, it means you are influencing behaviour of people in some way because they're not cutting down their tall and very valuable trees.
0: Can you tell me about some of the challenges that are facing the ibis from this
2: point on? So the ibis really rely on the use of trapiangs uh, in the dry season, which are natural ponds, uh, we saw very low levels in the, in those trapiangs in a very dry season the year before last. Also, very very dry periods can lead to burn of forest, uh, which is which is a problem for for the giant ibis. But really, it's about habitat loss. The biggest threat for the ibis is is human impacts, is is um, is loss of the tall trees they need to, to roost and loss of range generally of the the patchy deciduous forest that they that they 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 use
0: are there any other species that are benefiting from the project
2: so there certainly are we have three species of critically endangered vulture that also use this landscape uh elephants globally endangered asian elephants and the i've forgotten the name of the pangolin but there's a pangolin that's very very rare
0: so talk me through how the ibis rice project actually works
2: Essentially, um, ibis rice was born of a situation where you had um, this critically endangered bird uh, living alongside actually very, very vulnerable communities in the north of Cambodia. So ibis rice was created as a a mutually beneficial solution. These farmers were growing incredible jasmine rice uh, and living alongside these species. So a set of conservation compliance was developed for the farmers, which essentially is based on uh, no unplanned deforestation, so we develop land use plans for the communities that acknowledge their community is going to grow, that they need agricultural land uh, um, and, and, and have a good uh, growth system built in. But those land use plans are agreed to by the community, by the Ministry of Environment. We work with the Wildlife Conservation Society to develop those plans. What we then do is uh, incentivize adherence to that land use plan uh, zero chemical use in agricultural production, and zero hunting policy. Uh, we monitor those, uh, those rules with the uh, ministry environment ranges, community ranges, uh, satellite imagery, and also we have these community networks that feedback when potentially there's, there's, been, uh, there's been people breaking those rules. Once we're happy a farmer or a household has has been uh, compliant to this conservation uh, uh, compliance, we, we then buy their rice at a premium. So uh, essentially, we're incentivising adherence to this conservation compliance, and then the consumer in return gets a great product and is paying a premium for both the quality of the product to support the farmer and, and contribute to conservation.
0: I just want to back up for one second. You talked about the hunting of the ibis. Mm. Why were people hunting the ibis? Was it for food, or was it for feathers, or what was it for?
2: So it, it was, it's, we think it was more around egg collection. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a biologist or an ecologist. My background's in business, but I've got very close to this. But I think it was more around egg collection and disturbance um, of hunting parties going out into the forest. So um, the, the ibis themselves apparently don't taste particularly good. Uh, but um, the the eggs were collected, and I think that was a big threat to the to the to the giant ibis.
0: Can you kind of quantify the size of this project?
2: So we're currently working with uh, over a thousand households uh, in the north of Cambodia that have direct impacts on uh, half a million hectares of forest. Is
0: the Cambodian government on your side?
2: Uh, the Ministry of Environment are uh, are incredibly engaged in in what we do. Um, it's a difficult situation where you have different, different aspects of government working towards different aims.
0: So is the project actually working, as in are IBIS numbers actually increasing?
2: Yep. So we've seen, uh, uh, I can't remember exact numbers now, but we've seen from uh, almost no detection of the giant IBIS to uh, in the areas we work um, 300 uh, individuals and, and there's thought to be I think about 500 in Cambodia.
0: That's fantastic. Now, Ibis Rice started almost 10 years ago, right? How were those early days of the project? Was there much resistance from the target farmers and and the authorities, or or was it an immediate success?
2: Um, I think conceptually uh, the farmers could see that there could be a link between uh, uh, an incentive based around their rice production and following some rules... This was before my time, and I think Ibis Rice was, in the early years, developed very carefully and very slowly, uh, mainly because the key to Ibis Rice is having this land use plan, which is developed in a participatory process and agreed to uh, by individuals, the community, the commune, the Ministry of Environment, advised on by the Wildlife Conservation Society. This is really the, the framework that we then feed incentives into. So the development of that, the research into whether premiums based around compliance would change behavior, a lot of time was taken to really sense check whether this was going to have conservation impacts and livelihood impacts. So what I've done uh, in the last two and a half years is coming to a point where uh, we had illustrated that this works from a well-being improvement and from a conservation perspective, deforestation rates were reducing, the giant ibis numbers are increasing, my job was to come in and look at it from a business perspective and see how we scale it and how to bring it to break even. Um, so I'm quite glad that, that, that we trod very carefully in the early years and spent uh, a significant amount of time and resources researching what the impacts were and making sure that communities um, were fully engaged in the development of this program.
0: What did rice farming look like prior to this?
2: So, I mean... The rice farming has always been uh, a very traditional method of cultivation so there, there wasn't chemical use prior. Really what we're incentivizing is, is making sure that people didn't switch to a high input uh, production. The main thing we've, we've, we've impacted or changed I think is uh, unplanned expansion of rice production. You see uh, huge rates of, rates of deforestation across Cambodia in the last 15 years and this is Essentially driven by uh, by timber extraction and then scaled and unplanned um, agricultural expansion. So, really, what we've changed is we've stabilised both the, the land use and and stabilised a, a a zero input system, which is incredibly important for these waterways.
0: Do you have plans to expand this current project?
2: Yes. Yeah, so we are. We're now now we've got a business model that is scalable. Uh, we're taking ibis rice to, uh, to more protected areas in, in the north of Cambodia. And we're also looking at um, taking the the model of a land use plan and then it's incentivizing uh, adherence to that land use plan to other products, potentially cashew in the, uh, in the east of Cambodia, um, some non-timber forest products that could be shade-grown coffee, uh, could be cardamom. so we're, we're really... Uh, We feel like we have a framework now, uh, and we're starting to develop client base such that we can uh, develop products that are most relevant to communities that we want to engage and have the biggest impact.
0: Is that while still protecting the ibis, or they'd be protecting different species?
2: They'd potentially be protecting different species. So in the east of Cambodia, um, we have uh, extremely important populations of primates, um, gibbons, palliated gibbons, and... uh, uh, dangers, um, black, shank, black shanked duke langer, thank you. <laughs> well, you know a lot about the black shanked.
1: It, it's a type of primate, primate okay. group. We call a black shanked duke langer, a macaques, a monkey, and a white, yellow grass gibbon.
2: So, um, yeah, they would be protecting different, uh, different species, but I think these sorts of incentive programs and um, uh, compliance-based agriculture is it's really about preserving habitat uh, and, and then reducing hunting. So uh, the habit, habitat preservation uh, uh, can really benefit anywhere uh, that's a protected area from a scheme like this.
0: Do you get requests from other farming communities within Cambodia or, or even within Southeast Asia to start a, pro- a project there?
2: Certainly um, communities are very uh, – communities around our current communities are waiting with bated breath for us to come and work with them. So that's great. That's a good sign. Uh, the Ministry of Environment is seeing uh, this approach as um, really important uh, for communities that live within protected areas across Cambodia. Um, so there is a desire to see this replicated and, and – and, uh, duplicated in other protected areas. But like I say, it's really important. I think the important things are that the product is really high quality because we're expecting consumers to pay a premium for it. So we have to look for uh, the right product in the right, in the right situation. And um, it needs to be uh, scalable and inclusive to as many of the households in a, in a protected area as possible.
0: Let's take a song break with this song, Mondalkiri, by a band called Cambodian Space Project. You're listening to Freedom of Species on Three CR Community Radio. That last track was by a band called the Cambodian Space Project and it was a track called Mondulkiri. I probably completely mangled that pronunciation, but I will. Moving right along, we've been talking to Nick Spencer and Palken Chan of Ibis Rice, which is a project in Cambodia for the conservation of the giant Ibis. Now we're going to keep talking to Nick and Palken and Palkin is explaining how the project has successfully Raise the awareness of the
1: plight of the ibis
0: amongst the Cambodian population.
1: The ibis rice um, has been working in Cambodia for almost like 10 years. And from my personal perspective as a Cambodian people, I have observed that uh, many of the Cambodian people they start to realize about the bird, especially the giant ibis, through our products. Not only our products, uh, not only on our product by the other company that is, which is running on transportation, Mm -hmm. but they also use the name JNIB. And people start to doubt that what is that name, what is behind that name, and then they start to searching and through our public awareness on like social media, advocates on these spaces something about a uh, China based every day all day all, all month and then people started to realize and they start to engage and especially they come to us and buy our products because they know that the money we go through to the community and to the conservation
0: what have been your key elements for success in this
2: I think um, I think initially the fact that the rice is such of such high quality I think to carry, uh, to carry all of the activities that we do and to, to really reach consumers in the way we want to, you've got to find a really high-quality agricultural product. And going back to what I was talking about, the inclusiveness of the land use planning, the commitment and time spent on, on generating a proper understanding of the conservation we're trying to achieve within the community. So I think developing your compliance and your community engagement and taking your time over that and being, being ready to pivot and, and being ready to accept your mistakes means that you, you develop a, a, a really effective program in the early days such that you can then scale it through uh, business growth uh, later on. So I think uh, picking a great, a great food product, a great agricultural product, and then really taking your time to, to test your methodology, to test uh, um, your compliance, and just to include all stakeholders in the development of that.
0: When you talked about learning from your mistakes, what mistakes and regrets do you have? Like, what would you do differently if you had to do it again?
2: Um, I think, I think um, there's two things. As soon as you incentivise a, a product or um, agricultural cultivation you quite easily could be generating a perverse incentive from a, from a conservation point of view. You could be uh, increasing the value of a product, such that people want to expand their production. But I think um, uh, we were aware of those things, and we, we looked for them. And when we found them, we 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 addressed them. Um, if I was to one one thing I wish we had have done earlier, so we're we certified to EU and USDA organic standards now. That's opened up um, that's opened up a lot of new markets for us. But it's also uh, has some excellent processes, particularly around traceability and record-keeping, that have improved the, the project. So from a business perspective and an operational perspective, uh, we, should have, we should have taken this international certification into the project at an early, earlier stage. Uh, that would have helped. Uh, but we've, we got there in the end.
0: Is deforestation in Cambodia easing, or is it still going uh, full steam ahead?
2: There's there's been a halt to large economic land concessions in forested forested areas, which has been a great thing for for conservation and um, uh, has been great to see. However, lack of law enforcement um, and poor policies means that deforestation is is continuing at uh, at a a globally significant rate. So um, there is still a huge issue with deforestation
0: which affects obviously all of the species within, all of the forest species within Cambodia, not just the ibis.
2: Absolutely. I think that there is, um, we're getting to perhaps a a turning point, uh, political and public awareness of how important these areas are, not just for wildlife, but for water catchment, for the sustainability of of Cambodia in general. So I think we are getting to the point where, we're we going to see a reduction in deforestation. So what we're doing is trying to hang on to these populations of, of critically endangered animals, that we have stabilised them, and we expect to see a slowing in deforestation in coming years.
0: I read that um, ibis rice has been forged, that, that is, the, the packaging has been forged to just sell standard ordinary rice. And that seems to me, that's a huge testament that the product is really desirable that people are going are bothering to forge the packaging. So I was wondering, what's the demand for your, for your rice products, both here in Cambodia and internationally?
2: So uh, in Cambodia, um, we're in all major supermarkets and small, small markets. Uh, we supply a lot of high-end uh, hotels and restaurants. So domestically, we move between 20 and 30 uh, metric tons of rice in everything from 1-kilo packets to 50-kilo sacks. Uh, we have a partner in Germany which uh, is just putting our products on, on shelf in Germany and, and buying significant quantities of rice for us. So the growth model for us is uh, through the International Organic Certification, both working with, with partners, but ultimately we want to get our products on shelf in, in, in uh, developed markets.
0: You said earlier when I came in that you were hoping to crack the Australian market. How, how do you think that's going to fare? Because Australia does grow a lot of rice, um, maybe some would say unsustainably, but how do, you, how do you think you're going to fare there?
2: So I, I think it is out of, out of some of the potential markets, it's a trickier one, and I've been told by Australians that actually the ibis is, uh, in Australia is seen as a pest, so there might be a bit of a, uh, a, a PR issue <laughs> there and a bit of consumer education. Um, Certainly, Europe is is an easier target for us. There's there's zero tariff trade agreement between Cambodia and the EU. um, And there's not so much of a domestic uh, rice industry that's being protected. Um, But I think, you know, uh, from a culinary perspective, you know, this is the best jasmine rice in the world. There's a huge uh, understanding and love of uh, Southeast Asian food in Australia. Um, and, and I think if we can, if we can play to that, I, I think there's good potential. There's also some tweaks on the certification that you have to do to meet Australian standards. So it's certainly not the lowest hanging fruit for us, but I think that love of Southeast Asian cuisine and the quality of our product with the conservation story uh, could, could make it a successful uh, venture.
0: I hope so. Now, your jasmine rice, I mean, is it really any different to any other jasmine rice? I mean, how can a bird conservation project manage to produce a superior product?
2: So, we grow a variety called um, dol which is a truly Cambodian variety of jasmine, uh, and it's actually a variety that won uh, International Rice of the Year three years in a row. Um, the rice is allowed to grow very slowly, it's a very long variety. Uh, it's grown in rain-fed paddies, so just water that's run off mountains and, and flowed into the paddy field. Um, and obviously it's grown without chemicals in a pristine environment. We feel, we feel that does have an impact on the quality of the product. Um, certainly Cambodians are very proud, particularly of this variety coming from the area that, that, that we produce it in.
0: Now, how does farmer participation impact on, their, on the farmer's own wider environmental understanding? I mean do they become advocates and champions of the environment or does their participation in the project simply allow them to make a a better income or a better living?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and um, uh, one that we're always trying to understand better. I think there's certainly different levels. We have uh, within our committees, our village marketing committees, certainly the elected representatives have a real commitment to to the uh, compliance and the outcomes for conservation, and there are other people that might just simply um, adhere to the rules for economic benefits. Um, I think the fact that this serves as uh, a reason to sit down as a community and make plans for how you're going to use your resources and to link uh, people's opportunities to one another is a a great thing for conservation. And certainly adding in the ecotourism activities, uh, the community uh, uh, biodiversity researchers and rangers, there really is a lot of uh, income and activities that's all linked to conservation. So I think over time it has a huge impact on community understanding of conservation.
0: Who's behind Ibis Rice? Is there some seriously big foreign philanthropical dollars behind this or or is it foreign government aid or who's bankrolling this? So
2: um, WCS founded, the Wildlife Conservation Society founded Ibis Rice and WCS implements a lot of um, uh, state uh, donor money, aid money. So uh, USAID, um, uh, the EU, uh, the strategic funding for protected area management, also built into those are components for livelihood. So in the first six years, um, we were about 50% reliant on, on donor income and 50% reliant on, uh, on, on on the revenue from rice sales. Last year we had pretty much a break-even year and we had no donor funding. So we've moved, we've moved on from that. We are now raising money to try and expand more quickly, but our... Um, our commitment uh, is to essentially be able to fund all of, all of these activities through revenue generated from rice sales. Uh, like I say, we are fundraising so we can expand more quickly, but uh, we, we are building it such as it financially all of the activities will be financially sustainable through the rice sales.
0: Now, in Australia, we have the white ibis. Now, it's a wetland bird, but now you find lots of them foraging in garbage bins in Sydney. They're commonly called bean chickens, and um, it's a shame because many people consider them to be dirty and and they're pests. And I suppose they're they're pretty stinky and, and and they're not the prettiest of birds. And I just find it's a really sad situation because you know, in my opinion, they're just they're just trying to survive after their natural habitat has been um, has been so hugely modified by agriculture. And I mean, sure, the, the white ibis isn't critically endangered, but I reckon there's a lot we can learn from ibis rice about coexisting with wildlife. Is there anything, any suggestions or advice you can give Australians about coexisting with, with, our, with our white ibis?
2: Yeah, I think, um, well, going back to your point around, you know, the modification of landscape through agriculture, I think um, Australia has led the way in in in, in some ways in um, crop rotation and looking very scientifically at, at how to manipulate soil sometimes through uh, crop rotation, but I think that integrating diversity and avoiding huge expanses of monoculture is, you know, is, is really important. Um, I think that obviously Australia is, is in a, a, a different circumstance to Cambodia, but I think uh, uh, just a general level of appreciation uh, uh, through something like Ibis Rice. Hopefully, I can educate a consumer overseas and and, uh, and encourage them to take a, a second look at what's around them and what's what's important where they are. Uh, that would be the hope of some of the, some of the provocation of our our story.
0: You're tuned to Freedom Species on Three CR Community Radio. You've been hearing from Nick Spencer and Paul Chan of Ibis Rice in Cambodia. Now, keep listening because we've got a couple of community announcements just after this.
1: Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great. And really
2: healthy and nutritious. La, la.
0: Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience.
1: A 3CR supporter.
0: Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post as a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood, 3066.
2: Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm.
0: So some community announcements before we wrap up. The new documentary, Chasing Coral, is screening at Murdoch University in WA on Monday, August the 28th. Then it's on again in Brisbane's West End on Wednesday, August the 30th. The other excellent documentary, The Plastic Ocean, is screening in Orange, New South Wales, and at the Loop Bar in Melbourne CBD, both on Tuesday, August the 29th. Then it's on again in Mackay, Queensland, on Thursday... August the 31st. Sea Shepherd's Marine Debris Campaign is having a beach cleanup on the Gold Coast on Saturday the 2nd of September and Sea Shepherd Perth is having their big Stand Fast celebration that same night at Perth Town Hall. Geelong Animal Rescue is holding a fundraising trivia night also on se- Saturday 2nd of September. And Animals Asia is hosting a fundraising evening at Adelaide Town Hall with a classical piano recital on Sunday, September the 3rd. Details for all those events are on their respective Facebook pages and they'll also eventually make their way onto our Freedom of Species Facebook page. Now you can contact Freedom of Species via email, info at freedomofspecies.org. You can also find us at on our Facebook page and on our Twitter page. Many, many thanks to Nick and Palkin from Ibis Rice and also to the very wonderful Cambodian Space Project. And I'm going to leave you with a bunch more tunes from the Cambodian Space Project. See you next week.
1: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.